In just over a year away, our nation will be looking at who the next president of the United States will be. Amazing. There are currently a number of political candidates who are declaring their run to be the president starting in 2024. And they are all declaring their, they are the ones for you to put their hope and trust in to solve your problems. Each one of them is stating that if you vote for them, that they promise that they will dot, 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 right? That they will fix the economy, that they will, uh, when they become president, they will protect you from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Some are declaring that they will provide for all of your health needs. Some are saying you can have free education for you and your children and your grandchildren. Oh, someone will pay for that. Some are declaring that they will make sure that there is justice for all the oppressed. There are all kinds of vain promises that many politicians are, are, trying, are making in order for you to vote for them and for you to put their, your hope in them. And so as we think about these things and where, are, where we are to put our hope, that is, that is the question this morning. Where should you be putting your hope? Where is your hope? As we continue in our summer series in the Psalms, we'll be looking at a Psalm that addresses the question of where should we put our hope? Where should we place our hope? I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 146. Psalm 146 this is found on page 639 in the church Bibles. Psalm 146 is on page 639 in the church Bibles. We'll be looking at this psalm starting at verse 1. I'd ask that you please follow along as, with me as I read. This is God's holy, infallible, life-giving, and life-transforming word. Starting at verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing and obeying of his holy word. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, we do thank you and praise you once again for setting aside this day that we might worship you as we are throughout the world. We thank you for the word of God going forth, for your churches throughout the world. We pray, Lord, that you would bless, 
that you'd help us to sense your presence, that you would be given glory and honor. Lord, we pray, Lord, that nothing would distract us this morning, Lord, that you would, you would feed us by your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at God's word this morning, we see that there is no heading in this psalm that there are for many psalms. In trying to know who the human author of the psalms are, there, there is evidence that King David has uh, wrote 73 of the 150 psalms. He may have written more, but we just don't know for sure. Some have argued that King David was the author of this psalm as well as the last four psalms in the book of Psalms. And each of these last five psalms are often called psalms of praise because they all begin with the words, praise the Lord. They all begin with praise the Lord. And, and we are also unsure as to the time in which the psalm was written, but we know that this psalm was written for each of us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we know that this word is for us today. Our psalm begins with a call to worship. Psalm 146 begins with a call to worship, as Pastor William had this morning. It's a call to worship that we have here every Sunday morning at Crossroads. It's a call to worship is often something that is done. It's done in every uh, real church, every true church. The author begins by giving a, a what's called a plural imperative, which means it's a command for all of us. It's a command for all of us. We are all called to worship. And this is how we were created. We are called to praise the Lord. We are called to praise the Lord. Praise is the, the first Hebrew word that is written here. It is halal or hallelujah, which means to shine or boast or shout for joy. And as we think about boasting and shouting for joy and praising, uh, many of us are very familiar with this kind of praising because we boast about our favorite sports teams and our favorite athletes, don't we? Uh, people spend a lot of time praising their favorite politicians or their Hollywood actor, actress. There are those who spend a lot of time praising the accolades of, of their children or family members. The, this form of praising is shining the light on someone. It is boasting about who they are and what they have done. It is often done with enthusiasm and excitement. And this is the praise that we are called to do unto the Lord in worship to him. The next Hebrew word is, is a shortened word which is interesting. They use a, a shortened word of, of Yahweh or Jehovah or Jehovah. A quick Hebrew lesson here. Hebrew uh, was originally written with just consonants and no vowels. So my name in the Old Testament would have been just D-V-D. How do you pronounce D-V-D? Is it Dovod? Uh, David? It's David or David uh, in, the, in English. So, but here in the Hebrew, we have the words, the letters Yod, He, Vav, and He that were written out. And eventually they had vowels inserted so they knew how to pronounce the word. So the author of our psalm used the shortened version of Yah for the proper name of Yahweh, of God in the Bible. So anywhere that you see in our English translations, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, that is referring to God's proper name. It is the name that he gave to Moses, describing, describing himself, saying, I am who I am. God's name is a reflection of his being and who he is. 
And so we are called to praise the Lord, in all caps, the one true God. We are called to boast about him, to shine a light upon him, to shout with joy and jubilation. And so when the Bible says, praise the Lord, you can know that it is Hebrew for hallelujah, like Handel's hallelujah chorus. And, and this call to worship, we are all called to praise the Lord. And then the psalmist writes something to himself. After making a plural command to all of us, he writes, praise the Lord, or alleluia, to my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul, the psalmist says. Just like the psalmist, though, however, we need to tell our soul to praise the Lord. We need to tell our soul to praise the Lord. We often need to be reminded to praise the Lord because it is in our sinful nature. We, we tend not to praise the Lord, but to, to whine and complain, much like when our sports teams do badly, uh, when things are going poorly in our lives. We, we think that we know what we want in life, and so we start complaining to God. Why God? And we think that we know better. We also need to remind our soul to praise the Lord because we are just prone to forget. Doesn't matter how old you are, Young or old, we are all prone to forget to praise the Lord. We, we sometimes get so busy with our own little lives that we forget to praise the Lord who is the one who made us and created us and saved us. We tend to mimic our Israelite forefathers who, after being saved from being enslaved from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, uh, began to sinfully complain against God. And this is what happens to us when we forget to tell our soul to praise the Lord. This, this word for soul here in the Hebrew is nefesh, which means a living, breathing being. It, our soul here is a composite of all that we are in mind, body, emotions, and spirit. In other words, when we are called to praise the Lord with all our soul, it means that we are not just to be, it's not just to be words that are mindlessly coming out of our mouths. So often we know it so well, like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, art in heaven. You know, whatever. It just comes right out there. You don't even think about what you're saying. But that's not what we're supposed to do here. It means that we are to be praising the Lord from the depths of who we are. It should involve our mind, our emotions, and our energy. Just think about how many people have sung the hallelujah chorus. Think about, remember, how you heard it. Can you imagine it being sung like this? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wonder what we're gonna have for lunch. Yeah, it's not supposed to be like that, is it? When we praise the Lord with all our soul, it is to be an act of worship. And God will either accept or not accept our worship. The psalmist continues with this call that we worship the Lord by stating that he, the psalmist, will praise the Lord while he lives. He is declaring that as a living being, he was created by God to worship and praise the Lord. Not only the psalmist, but we are called to praise the Lord while we live. Kind of makes sense, right? Not going to be praising the Lord if you're dead. We are called to praise the Lord every day that we have the breath of life in us. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. The psalmist continues and says, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. 
And as we think about singing praises to, God, praises to God, the Bible makes over 400 references to singing and at least 50 different commands for us to sing to the Lord. We are called to sing praises. We are called to sing praises. Paul speaks about singing in Colossians 3, verse 16, saying, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Theologian John Piper writes, Why does God so often tell us not simply to praise him, but to sing praises, especially when we meet? Why not just pray and preach? That's it. Why, why sing? Piper writes, why are God's people throughout history always singing? Why words of music, words and music, not just words alone? Why does God want us to sing? Perhaps one reason is that God himself sings. God himself sings. We see this in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Picture that. That is God saying that he is exalting over you with loud singing. This is what God is doing for you. What a wonderful picture we have from God's word to see that God himself exalting his people with loud singing. And we see that Jesus himself singing psalms and hymns with his Disciples on the eve of his crucifixion in Matthew chapter 6. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, we see uh, them quote Psalm 22 being, and it is being applied to Jesus saying, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. We are all called to worship our triune God who also sings. He wants us to be like him. Now, for some of you, singing may come naturally, but there are others who struggle with singing. Perhaps you are concerned about singing in tune. God's word doesn't say oh, only to sing praises to the Lord in tune, does it? It doesn't say sing praises to the Lord in tune. It says, in fact, in Psalm 100, it says, make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Our worship is, is not more acceptable if you can sing in tune or in harmony. Our worship is acceptable to God if we are making a joyful noise to the Lord from the depths of our heart, from our soul. So those of you who struggle with singing in public during worship service, please know that you should only have an audience of one. That one is the one true God. That's it. That's the only one you should care about. And this may seem like an odd time to sing, but this is what I want us to do right now in the middle of the sermon. I want us to sing a song, okay? It's a song that I learned when I was a kid, and I thought it was appropriate. Uh, it's called, Alleluia, Praise Ye the Lord. And so I, I'm going to have the balcony. It's a two-parter. So I'm going to have the balcony do the hallelujah part, and the downstairs do the praise ye the Lord part. I know that there are many of you that know this song, so please don't let me do a Pastor Dave solo, okay? All right, all right. So the words, if you don't know the words, it's hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, 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 praise ye Lord, hallelujah, praise ye Lord, I think, I think it's right. anyway. So I'll get it straight when we sing, righty? And we're gonna do this, I said hallelujah is up top, praise ye Lord down below, but I'm gonna sing them all, so, I, so I'm confused, all right. 
All right, and so hopefully you won't be confused. So, and you can stand if you want. That's right. That's that's normal. Is what you're supposed to do. All right. Are you ready? Hallelujah! 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 Praise ye the Lord! Hallelujah! 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 Praise ye the Lord! Praise ye the Lord! Hallelujah! Praise ye the Lord! Hallelujah! Praise ye the Lord! Hallelujah! Everybody! to the Lord. It's the Lord. Amen. God wants us to praise the Lord. So as we get back to our passage this morning, not only do we have a call to worship, we also have a warning from the Lord. We have a warning from the Lord. The warning is also a command from the Lord. The psalmist says in, in verse 3, do not put your trust in princes or in mortal man. Do not put your trust in in princes or in mortal man. Well, what does a psalmist mean by, by not trusting in princes? We'll go to the word trust first. The word trust here that the psalmist is using is a, is a word meaning to have confidence in, security in, feeling safe or relying upon. The psalmist may or may not have had specific princes in mind. Again, we don't know the author for sure. Depending on who the author is, uh, it may have been written at a, different, at a specific time, might have us have better insight. But there are some theologians that thought that the, this psalm was written by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And if that was the case, it was probably written after the captivity of the Israelites by Cyrus, king of Persia, who withdrew in order, and his order of rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem ceased. He told them to stop. And thus, speaking of Cyrus as a prince in this world, we see that he was trying to get the Israelites to put their trust in him. And so this is perhaps what they were saying. These prophets were saying, do not put your trust in this prince Cyrus. Other commentators who, who think that perhaps David wrote this psalm say that he was warning the Israelites in general to not put their trust in foreign princes and kings or alliances because they could not be trusted one theologian says that, that princes in this world are, are fickle, they're changeable, they're inconsistent, they're often unfaithful to their word and instead are deceitful. Doesn't this sound a lot like many politicians in our world today? There are politicians and other influential leaders in our world today who are trying to get us to put our trust in them. We are getting a warning from the Lord in this psalm for us to not put our trust in princes or in mortal men because they cannot save you. Verse 3 says, princes and mortal men cannot save you. Again, princes and mortal men cannot save you. Princes and mortal men cannot save you in the way that you need to be saved. Remember when the Israelites rejected God as their king and wanted to have a mere man be their king like the rest of the world. The Israelites were not putting their trust in God as the one who could truly save them. They wanted to put their trust in something that they could see and hear and touch and God warned the Israelites that these earthly kings would be oppressive, that they would be unjust, they would be unable to save them in the way they needed. Their salvation was more than just having a superior army. It was more than having a secure economy. It was more than having good health care. Our psalm tells us in verse 4 
that the reason that we cannot put our trust in them is because they are merely human and mortal. Princes and mortal men will eventually die. In verse 4, it says that the spirit will eventually depart. And this word for, for spirit is his breath will eventually cease and return to the earth. Even the, his thoughts will perish on that day, it says. The warning that God is giving for us in the psalm is for us to not be putting our trust in anyone or anything ahead of the Lord. We are not to be putting our hope and trust in anyone but the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes his flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. This warning is that we will be cursed if we uh, do not put our trust in the Lord and if we put our trust in man instead. Our passage continues in verse 5, showing a wonderful promise from the Lord. A wonderful promise from the Lord. It begins in verse 5. It says, How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. The wonderful promise is that you will be blessed if your help is in the God of Jacob. But what does it mean to be blessed? If, if you're on any kind of social media today, people use this term blessed an awful lot. And, and they will often do hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. Um, saying what a wonderful uh, life they're having. Or perhaps they're, they're hashtag blessed because of their marriage or their family or their job or their vacation. All kinds of people associate all kinds of things as being blessed. But earthly blessings are, are merely temporary. And sometimes they can be just taken away. Read about it in the life of Job, who had many of his earthly blessings disappear here in a single day. One author writes, Scripture shows us that blessings from God are anything he gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. I'll say that again. Scripture shows us that blessings from God are anything he gives us that makes us fully satisfied in him. It is anything that draws us closer to Jesus. It is anything that helps us relinquish the temporal and hold on more tightly to the eternal. In pain and in loss, we long for the presence and blessings of God. We long to know that God is for us and with us and in us. You know, great families and financial wealth and good health, they're all wonderful blessings if God wills us to have these. But they are not his greatest blessing. They are not his greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is for those whose help is in the God of Jacob. Psalm 33 verse 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Also in uh, Psalmist writes in Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 54 verse 4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. And Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John chapter 14 verse 26, he speaks of the Holy Spirit. He says, Be, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. We are in desperate need of the Lord's help because of our sinful condition. We are not to put our trust in that famous saying from Benjamin Franklin, who stole it from somebody else, by the way. 
He said, Benjamin Franklin said, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Some people think that's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. There's nowhere that the Lord helps those who help themselves. It is the Lord helps those who know that they cannot help themselves, right? The Lord helps those who know that they cannot help themselves. He alone is the one who is our helper to provide our need of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus alone. He alone is the one who helps by giving us faith to believe and to trust in Jesus. He alone is the one who forgives our sins and has paid the penalty that we deserve by dying on the cross so that we might have eternal life. These are the blessings of those whose help is in the God of Jacob. In the God of Jacob. But why, why do you think the psalmist calls the Lord here the God of Jacob? Yes, we know it is the God of Jacob. It's historical. But perhaps it was to show us that God, by his gracious kindness, was able to help Jacob, even though he was merely a deceiver, right? He, he has shown that he was a deceiver over and over again. Even though Jacob had tried to use deception to get blessings. That was what Jacob was trying to do his whole life. I just wanted, he wanted blessings upon blessings and he was using deception in order to get that. When Jacob's father Isaac was getting older and losing his eyesight, he was going to give his uh, blessing to his firstborn, Isaac. Isaac was going to get that double blessing. Esau was the firstborn of the twins. He would be the entitled one to that blessing from his father. But Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, because Rebekah liked Jacob more, came up with this plan to deceive Isaac in order to get the blessing. Jacob was never satisfied with this and other earthly blessings. And I believe that the psalmist is reminding us that if we seek after earthly blessings, we will never be truly satisfied. If, we are, if that's what we're doing in life, is seeking after earthly blessings, we will never be truly satisfied. God provides us an eternal blessing to, to Jacob, though he did not deserve it, and he did not earn it. And that is what God does with us. God graciously provides his blessings to those whose help is in the God of Jacob. Verse 5 also declares the wonderful promise that you will be blessed if the Lord is your hope. You will be blessed if the Lord is your hope. The psalmist is not saying that the Lord is just somebody that you can put your hope in. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, uh, you may remember the scene where Luke is cleaning the uh, droid R2-D2. Uh, I forget where he's on, what... what planet. Some of you probably knows that. But, but uh, while he's there cleaning the droid, he accidentally triggers uh, the message from Princess Leia, which plays on repeat. It's this hologram message in which Princess Leia says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Our Lord Jesus is not just one of many potential hopes. He is our only hope. And as we've been saying for several weeks now, this hope is not just wishful thinking like hoping, again, your favorite sports team is going to win. The hope in Christ alone is complete trust in his promise to save us. The hope that we have in Christ is having complete confidence in him to save us and to bless us with every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ that alone will satisfy us. As we continue to reflect on our passage this morning, it, it begs us to ask ourselves, where is your hope? Where is your hope? If your hope is in anything besides the Lord your God, 
it will never satisfy you. It might satisfy you temporarily, but it will never completely satisfy you. Put your hope and trust in Christ alone. If this is something you want to do today, please speak to me, Pastor William, one of the elders after the service. We want to show you Christ, who is your only hope. In this last section of our psalm, we see a wealth of reasons to praise the Lord. Starting in verse 6, we see a wealth of reasons to praise the Lord. And these are the reasons that we can fully trust and put our hope in the Lord as well. The psalmist begins by reminding us that the Lord our God is the creator of all and who is faithful and just. He is the creator of all who is faithful and just. The psalmist reminds us that God, not man, is the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. He is the one who created them out of nothing. I tell you, the world and man are telling you, no, it's a theory. These things bang together, and that's how we, we came about. We, we came out of monkeys. You know, this is not what the scriptures tell us. God created man from the dust of the earth, right? It was by his command. He spoke all things into existence. And we can know that God alone is the one who created all these things, which includes us. David declares in Psalm 139 that we are all fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of God, male and female. Two genders God created. As our creator, God truly cares about us. He, he didn't just create us and say, good luck. That's another lie that the world is telling you. Yeah, maybe God created everything, but he doesn't have any real influence. He doesn't really care about you. Yes, he does. He created us for the purpose of knowing him, trusting him, and worshiping him alone. And so, the psalmist reminds us that this is the one true God, and he is the one who can be completely, he is the one who is completely faithful and just. As we were warned earlier in the psalm that princes and leaders and mortal men cannot be completely trusted, only God can be perfectly faithful to love us and to keep his promises. Everything that God says in his word, we can trust. Everything. It's not just part of it. It's not just the New Testament or some of the New Testament. So it's all. Everything that God says in his word, we can trust and know that he will keep his promises. The psalmist tells us that we can put our trust in the Lord because he is just. Verse 7 says, the Lord executes justice for the oppressed. This means that God is our just judge who promises to care for the oppressed. The nation of Israel was oppressed over and over and over by those who were sinning against them. They were often enslaved and crushed because of the sinful oppression by others. And, and as Christians, we are also under oppression by others, including Satan. Yet God promised that he will execute justice for the oppressed. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 that Jesus himself was oppressed and afflicted because of our sin. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He became oppressed for us while dying on the cross and then executed justice by rising from the dead and conquering sin, death, and Satan for us. And so as we place our trust in the hope of Christ alone, we can know that he will perfectly execute justice for all the oppressed. The psalmist continues to give us reasons to praise the Lord and put our trust in him. It says we should praise the Lord because he feeds the hungry. 
He sets prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He feeds the hungry. He sets prisoners free and he opens the eyes of the blind. One, one commentator reminds us in a very literal sense, God gave manna and quail to the hungry Israelites in the wilderness. We see in the New Testament, Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two small fishes and then did it again, 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish while he was on the earth. And then in a very spiritual but very real sense, he feeds us who recognize that we are famishing and starving without him. Are you famishing and starving without Jesus? Are you hungry for Jesus is the question. He freely gives of himself as the bread of life and the water of life. He feeds us himself as the word of life, which alone can satisfy our hungry souls. If you are hungry for Jesus, he promises. He promises that he will feed you. The psalmist continues in verse 7, stating that the Lord sets prisoners free and he opens the eyes of the blind. As we read these last few verses in this psalm, they, they may seem familiar. We read a passage earlier uh, from Isaiah, and as we read these last few verses of this psalm, they do seem familiar because it's much of what is said by the pro prophet Isaiah, uh, written in Isaiah 61. It is these verses in Isaiah 61 that Jesus read at the synagogue, saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And after Jesus uh, reading God's word, he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to him, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Among all these things, we see that Jesus came to set prisoners free. He came to set prisoners free. Not many of you know that I too was in prison back when I was in my 20s. I was in prison because I was doing ministry work. I was at an agency much like prison fellowship, visiting those who were imprisoned in the state of Delaware. And these men were imprisoned for, for breaking the law, some for killing people. And I was there having Bible studies in it and, and with these inmates, sharing them the love of Christ who was willing to forgive them and give them a new life. Jesus said that he came to set prisoners free. We need to acknowledge that although we may not have been physically incarcerated, we are all in a spiritual sense, prisoners of sin, death, and Satan being held captive by them. Yet Christ has come to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. It also says that Jesus opened eyes of the blind. Jesus will one day reverse the curse of sin, sickness, sorrow, and death, a day that we are longing for. And because of sin, however, we are all spiritually born blind, needing the Spirit of the Lord to open up our eyes to see our need of salvation in Jesus. By faith in Christ alone, we are able to see that Jesus alone is our only hope. The psalmist continues to show us reasons to put our trust in the Lord and put our hope in Him in verses 8 and 9. He says that the Lord protects the strangers, supports the fatherless and the widow. The Lord protects strangers and supports the fatherless and the widow. 
this entire list in this psalm gives, gives us, speaks of the poor, the hungry, the blind, the stranger, the orphan, the widow. These, these are all examples of those who are oppressed in one way or another uh, throughout the scriptures. And even the Israelites and those who were so-called religious ones were also the ones who were oppressing these very ones. Scripture told the Israelites regarding strangers in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, it says, God says, the stranger who resides within you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were once aliens in the land of Egypt. You were once strangers yourself in the land of Egypt. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, right? And then looking at orphans, regarding orphans and widows, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, defend the orphan, orphan, and plead for the widow. We're supposed to defend the orphan and plead for the widow. Our modern day orphans are, are those children who are being killed in the wombs. And James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being unstained by the world. God cares about the poor and the hungry, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Jesus, speaking on the future day of judgment, says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit down on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate one from the other, the sheep as a, sheep, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And from those who have trusted in Jesus as their only hope, he will say, come, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And Jesus continues and said, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And then the people said, when did we do these things to you, Jesus? And Jesus said, truly I say to you to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even to the least of these, you did it unto me. If you have placed your faith and hope in Christ alone, then you can know that he has already fed you. He has already freed you from being imprisoned. He has opened up your eyes. He has invited you in as a stranger. He has cared for you as an orphan and as a widow. And this is what we are called to do as well. It's not just about feeding people. That is good. But we are feeding people. We're doing these good things to point people to Christ. These needs are real, but they're to point people to the real need of having Christ as their only hope. We are called to do these things. Jesus is the one who thwarts the way of the wicked and the only one who will reign forever. He is the one who will reign forever. We cannot put our trust in man. Let us put our hope, faith, and trust in Christ alone and praise him for his, in his glorious name. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you once again for this psalm reminding us that we are called to praise you. We are called to worship. Lord, we 
we see the warning in this word this morning that we're warned not to put our trust in man, that we are to put our trust in Christ alone. And Lord, we know that there are wonderful promises in your word, that our blessing is from you. These temporary blessings are not things that we should be seeking after. We should be seeking after the blessings, the spiritual blessings of Christ, being forgiven for our sins, receiving his righteousness, being given the gift of eternal life. Lord, we ask, Lord, you'd help us to remember to praise your name, being reminded of what you have done for us as you have fed us, as you have opened up our eyes, as you have released us from from sin's uh, captivity. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.